I want to share this morning for a while from Psalm 37. And if I use as a topic, you can stumble, but you won't fall. Psalm 37, verse 23 and 24. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. I hope that this message will encourage you this morning, and as we see the nearness of the coming of the Lord, we see lawlessness on every hand. Uh, everything seems to be coming apart at the seams, but God is still in control. The times are not getting any better, but that doesn't mean that we as Christ followers <clears throat> cannot walk in victory. That we cannot lead a productive life for the Lord. And as the Holy Spirit leads, we should be ever mindful that there are many in this land today who do not know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. We live in a time when even many in Christendom are falling prey to the enemy simply because they have gotten careless in their walk with Jesus. So I just want to build you up this morning in your most holy faith, encouraging you that you can make it. Now this is a great psalm. And I can bring, and it can bring much encouragement to all of us as we read it and allow the Holy Spirit to do his intended work in each of our lives. But one particular word in this text stands out in my mind, and it's the word though. Though he fall. Some translations say when he falls. But note that it does not say if he falls. There's a big difference between when and if. And the latter states a probability, the former declares a certainty. And David understood that all believers fall eventually. We stumble, we can lose our way, we can struggle, and sometimes we trip and fall on our journey. No one is exempt. We all fall sooner or later. And it happens, and it's, when it happens, what happens when we fall we can still know in whom we have believed and we still can be fully persuaded in our hearts and in our minds that Jesus is for us and not against us, that we are his and he has chosen us and called us to be one of his very own and know beyond any shadow of doubt that your name is written down in the Lamb's book of life and hear me well, there's not a racer big enough to race your name out of that book. Amen. Amen. So, we can summarize the teaching of this text in two statements. God ordains every step we take, the good and the bad, the happy and the sad, the positive as well as the negative. So the verb ordered here is... is is very strong in the original Hebrew. <clears throat> it means to establish something so that it has a strong foundation. Proverbs 16 verse 9 tells us that in his heart a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. Same idea as our text. So most of us know that the Lord directs our steps 
Proverbs 3 and 6, but this verb is even stronger because not only does God direct our steps, he also determines or orders or ordains our steps. And that includes our going out and coming in, our lying down, our getting up, our walking and our sleeping, our buying and our selling, our talking and our listening and our walking as well as our driving. Because he is God, there are no accidents with him. Amen? Nothing ever happens to the child of God by luck or by chance or by fate. No circumstance, whether good or bad, can come to us apart from God's determined purpose for us. Almost changed my mind about this sermon this morning. And, but, but the more I'm saying, the more I feel like I'm plugged into a 220 line. The chills are running up and down my back. So I know that I'm on track because when I watch TV and I see what's going on and I see all hell breaking loose in these United States and not just here, but all around the world. And he says, when you see all of these things begin to happen, look up for your redemption is drawing near. Amen? Amen. See, but in, in the meantime, we're still here. You'll have good days and you'll have bad days. You'll have some victories and you'll experience some defeats. You might even get sick for a while, but most of the time you'll be healthy. Some of your prayers will be answered. Some of them won't. Some of your dreams will come true. Some will be dashed on the rocks of, of hard reality. Some of your plans will come to fruition. Others will remain undone. You discover that some of your friends will be there when you need them and others will fail you when you need them the most. Now in many respects, life will be the same next year because we all face the same ongoing challenges in our walk with the Lord. But know this, your steps this morning or next month, right on up until the new year, are ordered by the Lord. He's in charge of all the details of your life. But let me read the first few verses of this psalm. Verse three it says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger, forsake wrath. Do not fret, it only causes harm. For evildoers shall be cut off but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. Amen. Now the second thing, God promises that when we fall, we'll not be utterly destroyed. Some versions say, though he stumbles, he will not fall. 
so I, I was thinking in, along this line. Picture a trail that's winding through a dense forest. And the person that's walking in front might not see a little rock or, or a little stone or something buried just beneath the surface. And so he trips and, and he falls to the ground. Or when the path is narrow and it's winding, it's hard not to fall sometimes. Life is like that. We all stumble in many ways. But that word translated, utterly destroyed, means to be cast headlong into a deep pit. It's what happens when you're at the Grand Canyon and you're peering over the edge and you're out on that little ledge looking down 3,000 feet and someone pushes you from behind. When you finally hit the bottom, you won't dust yourself off and keep going. You've just been utterly destroyed. Now God promises that won't happen to the Christ follower. Though we may face desperate, life-changing circumstances, God will not allow his children to be utterly destroyed. Nothing can happen that will sever our relationship with him. I believe God is still on the throne. I believe he's still calling the shots. I believe he saved me to take me to heaven. I can go through some valleys. I can end up in some dark places, but I still know that my name is in his book. And when my breath leaves my body, I shall wake in the presence of the most high God. Amen. But now, nothing can happen to sever that relationship and the reason is clear. He upholds us with his mighty hand. Think of a father walking along with his uh, young son and there, there are two ways that a father and son might hold hands. The young boy might reach up with his little hand and grasp his father's big hand and, and that works until the child stumbles and is forced to let go of his father's hand. But if the father places his big hand around his son's little hand, then the boy is safe. And no matter what happens, because his father holds him up. He may stumble, but the father's hand upholds him. Amen? Now note, he may fall. You may fall into trouble, some calamity or catastrophe. It might be a fall into a, a, a serious moral sin. And the fall might be occasioned by the loss of a job or a health problem or the breakup of a marriage or the end of a friendship or any sort of personal crisis or it could be a, a series of foolish choices and sometimes we, we Christians make some dumb choices do we not? But sometimes the fall of circumstances causes a fall into bitterness or substance abuse or anger or rage, or abusive speech, or adultery, or some other sinful action. But the Bible repeatedly shows how easily this can happen to even the best of people. The Bible tells us the whole truth about human nature. We see men and women who are faithful one day and fickle the next. We see Peter boasting, and then he's busted by his own sin. 
We see worship mixed with worry. Courage is followed by cowardice. Uh, faith is matched with doubt. Generosity follows by greed. Kindness overcome by arrogance. And, and we learn that strong people sometimes do some dumb things. See, saints sometimes act like sinners who don't know better. Amen. For example, Noah built an ark to save his family. And when the flood was over, the man got drunk and exposed himself to his children, his sons. By faith, Abraham left Ur of the Chaldees, followed God's call to the promised land. And when he got there, he lied about his wife, Sarah, not once, but twice. Before Moses led the children out of Egypt, he killed an Egyptian and he tried to cover up the evidence. After David wrote, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He committed adultery with Bathsheba and he had Uriah, her husband, murdered in a vain attempt to cover up his sin. And then there's Peter, the man with the foot-shaped mouth. On one hand, he has the courage to declare to Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. But how little he knows himself in the upper room. He made the boast. He said, if everybody else falls away, fails you. He said, I'll never, I'll be with you to the very end. But this bold apostle soon turned to butter when confronted by a teenage girl around a campfire. He lost his nerve. He began to swear. We would say he began to cuss just like an old fisherman. And three times he denied the Lord. Now, these stories are in the Bible both to instruct us as well as encourage us. And they teach us that even the best men under pressure can do some foolish things. But no one is beyond the reach of this word called temptation. Very godly people can make some very wrong choices and suffer greatly as a result and cause others to suffer. See, it's good that the Bible shows us this to us or, or we would be tempted to deny this reality. We like to think, well, I, I've been saved long enough now. I'm beyond that stuff. Don't ever say that. You don't know what you're beyond. Today's victory may actually set you up for tomorrow's defeat. Satan, but 1 Peter 5 and 8 says, Satan goes about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, looking for overconfident Christians whom he can devour and, and shipwreck in their faith. But here, here are two verses that we should consider. Proverbs 24, 16 is the first one. Though a righteous man falls seven times, he rises again. But the wicked are brought down by calamity. We might fall again and again, and trouble may come again and again, and we may struggle again and again, but it is the Lord's purpose that we should rise again and again and again. Psalm 145 verse 14 declares that the Lord upholds all those who fail and lifts up all of those 
who are bowed down. When you fall, remember this. God never intends for you to stay down forever. He intends for you to rise up and keep on walking with him. I got four practical applications of this truth that I want to share with you. Number one, every detail of life is under God's control. Now intellectually, we, we know this is true. If God is God, then he must know about all the things that happens to us, right? And in some sense, we, we, we can't fully understand that those all things include both the best and the worst that may come our way. A man once asked if our sins are ordered by the Lord. Well, you might want to think carefully before you answer that question. God is never the author or the instigator of sin. Never. He does not sin, and he does not tempt anyone to sin. Sin is always our responsibility. But he does not fully, I mean, they don't fully answer the question. If our sin can somehow exist independently of God, so that our sin somehow exists outside of God's eternal plan, then God cannot truly be sovereign over all parts of the universe. And we can ask the question this way. Is God sovereign over Satan? Absolutely. When you come all the way down to the bottom line, the answer would go something like this. God reigns over all parts of the universe all the time, and he does it in such a way that all things must fit into his eternal plan. That even includes the reality of sin itself. And for reasons that we only partly understand, God decreed to permit sin to enter the universe primarily to display his glory through grace that would be shown in redeeming sinners through the death of his son on the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ. See, when we, when we sin, we remain fully accountable for the wrong choices that we make and the negative consequences that we may have to face. But if God did not allow it to happen, then it would not happen. So in the broadest sense of God's sovereignty, even our sin cannot take place apart from God's divine decree. When God chose us in him, those that are Christ's followers here this morning, my case was February the 15th, 1975. When I got saved that Sunday night, God already knew my life all the way to 2016. He saw in between every little thing. He would see when I was up. He would see when I was down. He would see when I lost it. And he would see when I was praising him. He saw the same about you. There's not a person in this house that God did not see and know everything that would happen in your life just because you said yes to Jesus. The devil's not dead. Your flesh is not dead. But we always come back to the Christ of the cross and we always lay ourselves before the cross and Jesus said, I have called you by name. You are mine. Amen. So, he can make the wrath of man praise him if he wants to. But right here, we need to make an important person, personal application. Since every detail of life comes under God's control, we can remain confident and, and peaceful even when life itself seems to be spinning out of control. 
The prophet Isaiah said in his book, he said these words in uh, Isaiah 40. He said, have you not known? This one of my favorite sections of the Bible is these verses here. Have you not known? Have you not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, faints not, neither is he weary. There is no searching of his understanding. He gives power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increases their strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young man shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. Amen. Amen. But there's another great passage right in this same area, Isaiah 43. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, he said, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. Neither shall the flame kindle upon you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Somebody say amen. amen. Woo! And then John says, he comes along, he says, in John 16, 33, these things have I spoken unto you. This is Jesus through these verses here. That in me you might have peace. In the world you have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Well, here's another one. Revelation 14 and 12. Here's the patience of the saints. Here, here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Or Matthew 24, he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Do you hear what he's saying? The steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. Amen. See, the peace that passes all understanding comes only from the Lord who gives it. And God delights to direct the steps of his children. Sometimes he turns on that green go light, giving us a clear direction, keep going. At other times, it's that red stop light. And we then have to wait until the light changes again. He controls the switches and he knows when to turn the one on and the other off. But now for the Christian. The path of life is never an unbroken straight line to heaven. We all go through many dangers, toils, and snares. Amen? On our way to this heavenly city. But how good to know that our God ordains both the steps as well as the stops of our lives. Amen? My third point, God takes pleasure in our struggle to walk in holiness. The last part of verse 30, 23 says, and he delights in his way. The he refers to God and his refers to the believer, the individual believer. Again, consider a father and his young child who's just learning how to walk. And for months he's been crawling and, and now he's learned how to pull himself up and, and stand on his wobbling legs while his father is holding on to his father's hand. But one day, he pulls his hand free, and he wobbles for a moment, and he tries to take a step forward, and down he goes. Does the father spank him for falling down? Of course not, unless he's a dumb idiot. 
but he loves on him. And then he helps him get back up. See, good parents know that falling is a necessary part of learning how to walk. If you never fall, you'll never learn how to walk. And parents do their children no favors by being so overprotective that they never fall down. Better that a child should fall a hundred times and never learn how to walk at all. Well, you got quiet then. You didn't agree with me, I guess, but that's all right. <laughs> but there's a spiritual application right here. And it applies to the falls that you and I take spiritually. Sometimes we bring trouble on ourselves by the foolish choices we make. Sometimes we end up hurting ourselves and, and those around us very greatly by repeating those bad choices over and over again. Marriages end, friendships are broken, churches split, children suffer, and the cause of Christ is hurt by the things that we say and do sometimes. Sin is serious business, and we never sin without hurting ourselves and very often those around us. One lady that Bev and I went to the Lord, she was our next door neighbor when we lived in Newport News. <clears throat> and after we had been, she had been saved a while, she had a little lapse there for a while and <clears throat> she smoked Pall Mall Reds, the <laughs> them long non-filter cigarettes. Then she went to Pall Mall Golds when they come out. And I remember one time she got, I don't know what she got aggravated with, if she got aggravated with her husband, Dickie, or what. But anyway, she went out and bought a pack of cigarettes. And she had this orange sticker on her Chrysler right underneath her license plate. And it said, Jesus is Lord. And she's going down the road. Did, did she meet somebody, was it Bev, that she knew? And she had, she had lit one of them cigarettes. And, and she felt so bad. She felt, remember the sticker on her car. And Lord, I, I'm blown it. I'm ruined. I'm ruined. Nobody's never going to have any more confidence in me. And uh, that's how all of us should feel if we feel like we're sinning or, or doing something that the Lord would not be pleased with. So sin is serious business. I don't mean to suggest that God takes pleasure in our sin or that our sin does not bring punishment. But when we sin, sometimes we sometimes wrongly conclude, well, God must hate me now. And in our despair, we might want to hide in the closet and never come out. How could God, we say, ever take me back after what I did? And the answer is Romans 8, 38 and 39. God loves his children with a never-ending love. And nothing we say or do can ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Let that verse sink into your head. Let that verse begin to open up in your heart and mind and say, God does love me in spite of who I am. He loves me this much. We're joined to our Father with, with, with hands of eternal love that's stronger than the strongest piece of steel. He loves us too much to let us go on in sin forever. And when we turn back to him with trembling lips, deeply guilty, fearing the worst, thinking all hope is lost, 
We discover that good news that he's waiting with open arms for us to come back home to him. Amen. Amen. When the prodigal son finally came to his senses in a far country, in a pig pen, wallowing around probably in the slop, having wasted all of his inheritance on riotous living, the scripture calls it, so that he ends up eating with the pigs and he rehearsed what he was going to say to daddy when he came back home. He didn't feel like he was worthy to be his son and in the midst of shame and despair, he's coming down that, that long road on his way home. And Bible says, when he was yet afar off, his father runs out to meet him and hugs him and smothers him with kisses. When your children disobey and you punish them, do you hate them or do you love them? You punish them because you love them and because your heart may be broken over their disobedience. The same is true a million times more of our heavenly father. And the things we suffer because of our disobedience proves that God still loves us and how he waits anxiously for the slightest turn towards his direction. No matter what we have done, if we will return to the Lord, he will automatically, abundantly pardon us. And one other point before we move on. God permits us to fall when he could stop it. If he permits it, then what he permits must ultimately be for our spiritual benefit. Not the fall itself, but what we will eventually learn from it. God allows us to suffer when he could stop it. Not that suffering in itself is good, but it's often the pathway to enormous blessings that he has for us. God designs our trials, my last point, so that they will not destroy us. Now this follows all that I've said. Verse 24 assures us that though we may stumble or fall temporarily, we will not utterly be destroyed. God will not allow anything to permanently destroy our relationship with him. Not even death itself. Bev and I were talking about her sister coming over. We were there last Thanksgiving. She could not even walk without the help of her husband and son and some friends. And she's still cracking jokes, even though she could barely speak. And the next early morning time, maybe the next day or two, she died in her husband's arms. <clears throat> That's one of the few people that I've ever seen go out in a blaze of glory, even though she was still joking, still knowing that two weeks before she died, she kayaked around Tanger Island. She used to ride her bicycle six miles around that island just a few weeks before she died. She lived a good year as uh, far as physically, uh, physically being goes, but she knew in whom she had believed, and she was fully persuaded that on that day, that early morning hour, she went to sleep in death and woke up in the presence of the Most High. It don't get much better than that. 
But during the worst moments, see, we take this, this by faith and we hang on to God, believing that better days must eventually come. Now, if, you, if you've been around the church a long time, you know about Job, how Job lost everything. Then there's Joseph. He was cast into prison on a phony rape charge. Jonah, he ends up in the belly of a great fish <clears throat> because he was very reluctant to, to go share with the, with the people of Nineveh. God said, I'm going to send you in the belly of this great fish so you can think about things for a while. He did. And eventually, that old fish got tired of this unholy preacher and spit him up on the beach. But back to Job. Job lost everything. But he gained back more in the end than he had lost in the beginning. Joseph ended up as the second most powerful man in all of Egypt. See, sometimes our trials lead to a promotion. Oftentimes, we feel like we've been puked up on the beach. But God does it both ways. And we'll probably experience both if we live long enough. But God had bigger things in mind in all three cases. He wasn't through with Job, Joseph or Jonah. Now, is he through with us just because we stumble and fall? Absolutely not. Consider what Jesus said to Peter when Peter was in the upper room. Uh, Luke chapter 22, verse 31. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. Listen to this. But I have prayed for you Woo. that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Now that, that statement deserves special notice because Jesus said it before Peter's denial. So the point is this. Jesus saw it all coming. Knew everything before it took place. The boasting, the, the teenage girl around the fire. He's one of them. The swearing, the shame, the bitter tears, the guilt, as well as the restoration. He knew Peter better than Peter knew Peter. And he knew the steps Peter was about to take in the wrong direction. But he, he prayed for Peter, knowing that Peter at heart was a good man who loved him. And knowing that his denial was not the real Peter. The real Peter was the man who declared, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. But Jesus allowed Peter to fall away, knowing that through his prayers, he would return. And when he did, he would be a better, stronger, humbled by his failure man, ready to serve the Lord with a humility that was born of, of a painful failure. But let me tell you this, we do not, we will not utterly fall because God will not let us go. Though we stumble, and though we, I, I can remember, you've heard it said probably, I know this one guy, he would go to the altar every time the church had a revival. And he had been so many times and the people would say, well, there he goes again. If it, the Lord better kill him right at the altar this time so he won't backslide. But he kept on going. He didn't give up. 
See, you've heard me say this before. Anybody in here can look like a good, sold-out, solid, sanctified, Holy Ghost-filled Christian. Y'all look good this morning. Some of you are smiling, some of you are not. But Jesus knows what's truly in all of our hearts, doesn't he? He knows if you're saying, I can't wait to get out of here. I wish that man hurry up and shut up. <laughs> and you might be a little embarrassed just to get up and walk out. But I've already instructed the ushers to keep the doors shut so you can't get out. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> but I just hope that something I've said this morning will stick in your mind. See, my faith and your faith is and must be on Christ, the solid rock, because all other ground is sinking sand. So if you're a Christian, you, you have experienced the grace of God through the ups and the downs of life. And if we're worth our salt at all, we don't pretend that our trials never happen or that Christians never suffer. We suffer just like everyone else on this same cursed planet and it's not good when we fall into sin. Just ask any Christian who fell into some serious sin how good it was. No, they're going to tell you, well, the Bible says that sin is good for a season, but the season doesn't last. All of Satan's apples have worms. Remember that. that, that that's an important truth in our passage that we need to understand. God is at work in our trials and in our falls and in ways we never dreamed, never knew, never saw, or understood. And nothing is wasted with God. There's a verse in 2 Corinthians 3.18, then I'm out of here. That talks about us who make up the body of Christ. Listen to how it reads. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. And to make us what? More Christ-like. God will use His Word, He uses other people, and He'll even use difficult circumstances. God's Word, God's Word provides the truth that we need to know. God's people provide the support that we need to grow, and difficult circumstances provide the environment that we need to show Christ-likeness. And I'll close with this thought. God will not put you in an unbearable situation, but he may put you in a situation that seems unbearable so that you will turn to him. Remember, he does not give his strength in advance, but only when it's needed. Each day you will have more than enough to get you through the day. Amen? Amen. Amen. With that, I have something to say to you. This past August, I've been here 18 years. 18 years, this place has been a part of my life. 18 great years. Lovely years. Great people have come and gone. I even love my enemies. I mean that, Kevin. Pastor Kevin. I don't keep long, disgruntled thoughts with people. I can be mad at you, and after I've said my piece, I'm ready to go. And you might still be wilding around saying, I hate that man, I hate that man. <laughs> but the overseer, there's a church in Chrisfield, Maryland, that their pastor retired, and 
I think he had some uh, physical problems and they're struggling. They're at the lowest point that they've ever been since that church has been there since 1951. <clears throat> and they and the overseer asked if I would go be their interim pastor until they found a pastor. And so I told him I prayed about it and I talked with Kevin and he said he prayed about it. We prayed about it. And uh, so for the next three months, I'm going to be in Chrisfield trying to help them and encourage them and so, but Pastor Kevin said it was going to be in January when he became the lead pastor, but starting next Sunday or starting after today, he will be the lead pastor. And October the 12th, the state overseer, the administrator, will be down here on a Wednesday night to really officially appoint him as the pastor of the Shinktig Church of God. And since I'm leaving like this, y'all better be here to back him up when he's here with the overseer on a Wednesday night. Don't stay home. So again, pray for Bev and I, and it, it, it's going to be, I was listening to that music this morning, I said, oh, Jesus. You cut the tape off now, Joe. <laughs> but, but uh, Give it up for your pastor. seated for a moment. I am truly humbled <laughs> Somebody laugh please Came here just a little over nine years ago and I was in one of the most I didn't know what to expect Nine, a little over nine years ago I I knew Pastor John Thorne. I didn't know Bev, but I knew of Pastor John Thorne for growing up in the church, Church of God speaking of. And I remember seeing this, this, this guy at camp meetings that was really tall and had a weird accent. And I was only a kid. That's like 13, 14 years old. And uh, I never thought that I would actually work for him. And I remember being at East Coast Bible College and I got to, to meet uh, a couple people, uh, uh, Paul Mears and uh, Emerson's son, and uh, talking about the Shinkatig Church of God. And growing up in youth camps, I, uh, I think his name is uh, David Reed, if I'm not mistaken. I think he was one of your youth leaders. <laughs> and he was my camp counselor. And uh, I remember he had a very wicked laugh. You know what I mean? He wasn't wicked. Don't get any of that wrong. I mean, you know, he was saved. And you know, we're going to stop right there, okay? But it would, it would scare me to death. I'd be like, man, you can't turn the lights out when he would tell a story. All of us in the, in the, in the, camp, in the cabin were like that. But learning about the Shinkatik Church of God, and then I remember uh, uh, one June afternoon, my father called me and said, hey, I, there's a church at Shinkatig that, that needs a youth pastor, and the pastor told me to, to, uh, for you to call him, and, and I did. And, well, everything else happened. I've not hid this from anyone, but Pastor John Thorne did something that many wouldn't do for me. To give me an opportunity. 
for the <clears throat> for that I will ever be grateful. And he's not just a pastor to me, but he's like my best friend. He's a father figure. He's a mentor. He's someone that I can go to. Always has godly advice, wisdom. And he's just a little crazy, which makes it even better. But Pastor Thorne and Bev, thank you so much for your years of service here at this church. And I think it's only appropriate if you two would come up here. Right, come on, right here. I, I get to, I, no, don't turn to them. Right there, thank you. And then I want to ask the council to come, to come around them. All the council members, please. And then you as the church body, I'm going to ask you to come and come around them. And we're going to send them off because we believe that God has ordained this, that God is in this. And you know what? This season of their life, God is going to use them the greatest that they have ever been used to a church that really, really needs it. We love you. Have a great day. God bless.